This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, part two of our special Christmas edition. And I'm thinking, Jason, maybe these guys should be spending some time with their family instead of listening to our podcast. What do you think? No, for three reasons. A, we'll be comparing two of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, Home Alone and Christmas Story. Two, this is our last podcast of 2021. And D, we'll be giving our final judgment on all five of the Christmas movies we've covered so far in our podcast. It's going to be amazing. Why the heck did you take your shoes off? Why are you dressed like a chicken? (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're diving in right here. Part two of A Christmas Story versus Home Alone. Let's talk about the lamp real quick. Okay. The electric sex in the in the window. <laughs> I had somebody this week when we posted on Facebook yeah. about a Christmas story. Yep. Fragile. Yes. Must be French, right? It's not French, it's Italian. Must be Italian. Everybody does it. Everybody says must be French, but it's not French. It must be Italian. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, I blew that one then. Yeah. Sorry. The reason why he gets this lamp in the first place, because his wife is great at this trivia. Yeah, Victor. You know, oh, everybody knows the that. Lone Ranger's nephew's horse. <laughs> Great characters of literature. <laughs> Victor. Yeah. Uh, and then when he gets the lamp, of course, he sets it up. She keeps turning it off. She hates it clearly. And then that day comes where there's an accident. I don't know what happened. I was watering <laughs> my plants and I broke your lamp. Get the glue. We don't have any. You used up all the glue on purpose. He was looking for a zinger, but all he could get out was (laughs) not a finger. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's great. The Chinese scene at the end of the movie. Yeah. Actually have to. Gene Shepard. Shepard. They had to go eat Chinese food, but the rest of the scene was all a creation of Bob Clark. There was no duck. There was no singing. That was all Bob Clark and the ra-ra-ra-ra-ra. And <laughs> he's he's smiling at me. Oh, chop. <laughs> I love that scene. Melinda Dillon was purposely given the wrong script so she would be shocked and surprised. <laughs> and her reaction is so genuine. Her laughter is so good. And her scream is so on point. I it's awesome. It. I love it. He's smiling at me. And then the Chinese guys are singing fa-la-la-la-la, right? And the guy, the restaurant owner keeps correcting them. Yeah. No, 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 no. Sing like this. Deck the halls with bells of holly, right? And he corrects them. If you watch the movie, that dude is cracking up the whole time. Oh, yeah. He can't stop laughing. It's it's great. It's great. Okay. Yeah. One one more quick thing. Okay. This is a point of contention. And I and I wonder about this because oh. I think that I had my Red Rider BB gun before this movie came out. And my Red Rider BB gun, I still own it. Okay. It has a compass in the stock. Yes. Red Rider BB gun maintains that they did not have a model that had a compass in the stock. That's some other brand of BB gun. And Gene Shepard, when he was still alive, was like, I remember it. I remember the compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. (laughs) I remember This thing which tells time. Yeah. 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 And I'm telling you, I had it. Compass in the stock, sundial. All on the butt of my Red Rider BB gun. Yes, but those are recreations. So when they went to the 1939 version, Red Rider Company is like, well, we're going to have to make one for you because it's not the way you remember it. Right. And speaking of which, it's important to note that this was supposed to be back in the 1930s, 40s area. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Okay. 
So Bob Clark deliberately tried to make the movie look like it was filmed back then. That's why you have that kind of nostalgic look going on. I mean, not only did they do the costumes right and the cars right, but he had the way of filming. And one of those things was the iris opening and closing from one scene to the next scene, which was a totally old style of doing your cuts. But he brought it back for this movie because he wanted that nostalgia feeling and he nailed it. You know what movie the cinematographer for Home Alone watched in order to get the right feel for the movie? Tell me. Christmas Story. Perfect. How about that? All right, guys, let's take a quick break. We're going to intro a new podcast out there right now. Yeah. Plan your work and work your plan. For many athletes, saying such as this could be considered scripture, permanent signposts, lining the long road to success in sports. For some, the very act of pursuing a career in sports can give you a sense of control, a sense of safety, so long as you stick to the plan. That is, until life happens. The kind of life that happens while you're making other plans. Breakdowns, insecurity, panic attacks, PTSD, addiction, sudden life changes, ones that require an athlete to toss aside their well-laid plans and answer the question, what's your next play? Blindsided is a podcast about sports, mental health, and life. Hosted by former NHL goalie Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist Dr. Diane McIntosh, the podcast will share and analyze the moments for a variety of athletes when everything changed for them and what happened when it did. The podcast lets listeners hear the athletes describe moments when mental health became the most important focus of their lives. Blindsided then dives deeper. It gets clinical and it allows listeners to leave with an understanding of the different varieties of mental health challenges people face why they appear, and how athletes in particular face them down. Blindsided is a sports podcast, not only for people who follow sports, but also for those who don't. All right, guys, go check out Blindsided. Okay, so let's move back to Home Alone. Right. Okay, so we said we started off with Warner Brothers. The budget was $10 million, and they started making their movie. And day after day, event after event, the budget started to creep up and creep up and creep up. And eventually, they reached $14.7 million. That's right. And Warner Brothers called them up and said, you guys have to stop. You're at 14.7. You said you could make this movie for $10 million. Uh, You need to stop. And they're like, you're going to give us trouble? We're doing great. We've got all this stuff together. I mean, they went cheap. I mean, the, the cinematographer... Second unit guy for movies. Like he had never really done it on his own before. Same thing for the editor, same thing for the set designer. And so they had gone for guys who didn't have a whole lot of experience to do these things just to keep the budget within reasonable realms. And it's not like they had Arnold Schwarzenegger in the title role. Right. right. An eight-year-old kid. And so they went off by a little bit. But I mean, we're talking about Hollywood standards here. That's not that much. So John Hughes is like, no, this is bullcrap. This is Warner Brothers we're talking about. This is not some mom and pop thing. Right. He's like, they'll make it. It's fine. I'll send him a letter. So John Hughes writes a letter. It's like, there's nothing left to cut. So they're like, all right, we're pulling the plug. Yeah. But John Hughes had a little ace in his sleeve. Right. Because he did uh, something that if you live in Hollywood, you would call it underhanded. That's right. Or illegal. Right. <laughs> like it's it's not okay. So he had talked to executives from 20th Century Fox while the movie was still a Warner Brothers movie. 
And surreptitiously, somehow those guys got a copy of the script. It's funny how that happened. Just happened to end up on their doorstep somehow. Man. And so they, when these things are going on with Warner Brothers, they're like, if anything goes wrong, if it ends up in turnaround, you let us know. Just keep going. And they, they're like, how much did you say you were at? And he's like, 14.7. They're like, you don't stop. Don't stop production. And so literally when the hatchet man from Warner Brothers shows up, he goes from door to door in the new trier school to their offices and say, all right, guys, shut it down. We're cutting it. This movie's over. And right behind him was the assistant director who was like, don't shut it down. Right. And would literally follow him from office to office. And when he walked out of the building, he turned around and he's like, what's going on? He's like, What's going on is you're fired. (laughs) I love it. I love that story. And we're talking about, I mean, 14, $15 million. Can you imagine being the Warner Brothers guy who said, kill this movie and then seeing it hit number one, week one, then week two, week three, week four, week five. I mean, something like 12 to 14 weeks, this movie was in the number one spot. It's insane. It made almost what half a billion dollars. Like worldwide? it was, yeah, in the four hundred million dollar range. And they let it slip through their fingers over one point two million dollars. It's nice. Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Gosh, Daniel Stern was filming City Slickers. Yeah, and Billy Crystal would get a copy of the magazine. He kept coming to me and was like, "Hey, your movie's number one." And then he'd show up again. Hey, guess what? Your movie's number one. That they were shot City Slickers for three months. And the whole time. It was number one. It was in the theater for six months. It's insane. It is insane. When Chris Columbus's next movie, Only Lonely, starring John Candy, yep. was released, yep. Home Alone was in the theater. Yeah. Only Lonely finished number five. Home Alone was number 11. Wow. That's how long it had stayed. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about those guys who were editing and filming and such like that. So the guy who had only done second unit, who was their cinematographer, he's a little concerned that he might mess something up. And so he had a little like tiny extra camera camera that he would set up for every shot just to get coverage, right? Just to to make sure in case something goes wrong with the main picture that I've got this. And he called it his chicken (laughs) camera. (laughs) Please bleep that. The bonus cam, right? Yes. And so he was like, not only was it invaluable, but I started to realize some of my best shots were coming from the chicken game. Right. And so a lot of what you see in the movie is from that, that second camera that he had set up. And some of the reasons that it's so good are the stunts because the stunt would, you know, he'd have one camera set up and he'd catch the stunt man's face or whatever. And I mean, you watch those stunts. Holy cow. You think that's a real person. This isn't a cartoon. Like those guys are real human beings falling as hard as they can. And there wasn't padding. This was a low budget movie. There was a guy dressed up like Joe Pesci who fell as hard as he could after doing a four foot jump in the air straight on to his back. Chris Columbus said they wouldn't watch the take. <laughs> they'd say action. They'd turn away. And then once they you know, knew it was over, they go, is he okay? Okay. All right. And then, and he was, he was ready to do it again. Those stuntmen are amazing. Yeah. I mean, you just got to think about iron to the face, shot in the crotch, blowtorch, whatever you got. It is amazing the stuff that those guys went through, including the stuntman for Macaulay Culkin. Who was a 30-year-old man. Yeah. Who was just, just ultra trying. short. Yeah, <laughs> short and thin. Just worked out well. The one stunt that bothers me the most is that dude who's jumping off the porch 
directly on his like back slash neck. Yeah. And he lands. I mean, dude, I would be like dead. You listen to him talk about it. He's like, I love it. I love it. He must be a masochist. He just enjoys the pain. He's crazy, man. So how do you make a movie that's got this much violence and still make it PG and acceptable to parents and kids? Right. You make it a cartoon movie. That's what you do. And so that's, he was pulling, the guy who they had doing the editing was pulling sounds and notions and shots from the Looney Tunes. He watched Looney Tunes to get the beats of the movie. Yeah. Like, when do you show the slip? When do you show the crunch? When do you show the, (laughs) (laughs) Marv, what are you doing, Marv? (laughs) (laughs) Ah! (laughs) You know, the tarantula scene, the tarantula on the face scene, Yeah. which, you know, when I saw this in the movie theater, I'm like, dude, that's a real tarantula on his face. And it was, like super scary, right? Right. I guess tarantulas are deaf, like they can't hear. Like Daniel Stern's oh. like, if I scream my guts out, is this thing gonna bite me? And they're like, no, no, it's deaf, can't hear you. <laughs> uh, okay, sure. here it goes. By the way, that tarantula's name—they never say it in the movie. No. You get it from the novelization. Oh, okay. Tarantula's name, Axel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> is it Foley or Rose? I believe it's Rose okay. based on the year that it came out. Well, I guess Buzz would probably be a GNR fan. By the way, <laughs> your girlfriend. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> the girlfriend's picture. Yeah. That is the that is the son of like the assistant director. Okay. They felt it was going to be too mean to take a picture of a real oh, girl yeah. and yeah, then yeah. talk about how much of a dog she is. <laughs> It's so it's his son. <laughs> and that picture is hilarious. Man. Uh, that's hysterical. One of the things that I want to talk about during the production, like they would film scenes with the family in France. And when they cut it all together and they showed it to test audiences, people could have cared less about the McAllisters in France. Right. They wanted just to get back to Kevin. I mean, and that's another question, you know, how do you make, how do you create a believable story where the mother leaves her child at home and is not a human being that you hate? Okay. We got to talk about that. So that's the biggest problem with this movie. Okay. Yep. Most people, when they watch it, they're like, well, she's a terrible mother. <laughs> I would say she's not a terrible mother. No. Okay. She had a series of unfortunate events, including the neighbor boy who came over and looked enough like Kevin to be counted as part of the family. Yeah. They were in a huge rush because they overslept because of the power line. Right. Right. But one thing that you might miss when you watch the movie that I only caught this time, when Kevin and Buzz get in a fight at the dinner before they have their flight or whatever, he knocks over a bunch of milk. Mr. McAllister scoops up this giant mess and it includes Kevin's ticket, his airline ticket. Yep. If you freeze frame it, you can see the ticket being thrown into the trash. I guess John Hughes was intent on covering all the holes. Right. So I know because I knew that that was the case, I watched as they came onto the plane and they just make it onto the plane. Right. Right. And the flight attendant is like, you just made it. And so she's got all of the tickets in her hand. She, they, they hand them all to her at the same time. And so she's got the tickets. She's counting the heads as they go onto the plane. And that's why you don't get a miscount. It's because that ticket got thrown away. John Hughes is brilliant. There was a scene that was actually cut from the movie when Kevin realizes that his family is missing. Yeah. He bursts out the front door and into the front lawn and like, where's my family? Yeah. And the garage doors are up. They actually did forget to put the garage doors. That's right. Yep. So I thought this was interesting. The Christmas ornaments that Daniel Stern has to step on. Yeah. 
So we talked about how Die Hard and Home Alone have people picking glass out of their feet. feet, Those ornaments, he actually did step on. Mm -hmm. He did have those fake rubber feet that Bruce Willis had in Die Hard. He wore those as well. But those ornaments were made of sugar. So those shards are not really that sharp. Gotcha. We talked about how they had this cartoon language where they didn't curse at all. Right, okay. right. About the 53-minute mark, Daniel Stern does let out the old SH word. Yep. It just kind of slides under. You don't really <laughs> notice it. <laughs> right. Right. So apparently that is the point in the movie where he's <laughs> retrieving his boot through the doggy door. Right. And it even shows up in the subtitles, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Which is also probably the time in A Christmas Story where Ralphie realizes that his decoder ring has been an advertisement. Crummy commercial? Says, son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to talk about that there's a moment that's like with actors on movies, you have these small scenes, right? Like it's boom, happens, boom, happens. And they're looking at their script as it goes, right? Right. But there in this Home Alone, there is an extended dialogue scene that involves Kevin, Macaulay Culkin, just this very young actor doing the scene. And it's the one in the church, right? And it's an emotional, moving, important moment. Right. Because it's like it's like we talked about, you have to fall in love with the character before you see him go do all this horrible stuff, right? Right. Because you're about to see him go do some really mean and dastardly things, although it is to the bad guys. Right. But before that, you are touched, your heart is touched, right? And it's that scene with the old man in the church talking about his son and his granddaughter who is singing in the choir, right? So Chris Columbus was concerned about the scene. And Chris Columbus is a great guy to work with kids. Like he just loves, treats them like grownups, but still appreciates that they're kids and has fun with them. So he was worried about how the scene was going to go. He said, Macaulay Culkin showed up for this scene and had it memorized and did it perfectly right out of the gate. Right. Like... It was like they were watching a stage performance. He had it all down and delivered it all perfectly from beginning to end. You know, that scene, I think, would mirror the scene in Die Hard when Bruce Willis is picking the glass out of his feet, talking about how he always told his wife he loved her, but he never said he was sorry. Yep. You got to nail that one because it's time to go get the bad guys. Right. Right. Okay. We ready to talk composers? Let's talk composers. Okay. So jumping back to A Christmas Story. We have a couple guys. We have Paul Zaza and Carl Zitter. Now, Carl Zitter has done uh, music composition for New Jack City and Moonstruck. And then, of course, he also did it for a couple of Bob Clark movies called The Murder by Numbers and Black Christmas, as we discussed. Okay. Uh, Murder by Numbers also involved Paul Zaza, and Paul Zaza was also the composer for Baby Geniuses. The music that they have in this movie is very Christmas-based, right? It's all, and then you have the kind of chase, as the kids are running away from the bullies, right? Right. It's very subtle. It's not breathtaking, but it makes the movie in a non-obtrusive way, right? Would you agree? Sure. So then jump forward to Home Alone. They have a guy who's supposed to do the music composition for Home Alone. Yeah. You know who that guy is? Tell me. His name is Bruce Broughton. Mm-hmm. He was attached as the original composer. Yep. He worked with Chris Columbus when they did Young Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. But he left Home Alone to go do The Rescuers Down Under. Really? Yeah. 
Okay. Well, he had composed some music for it. Ultimately, we know that it didn't get used in the movie. Right. Just wasn't right. But there they are. They've got a movie. They've got it cut together, mm-hmm. but they don't have music. And they're like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Who are we going to get? And Chris Columbus, as a joke, because we're talking about a small budget movie by a director who has done two movies, one of which is an absolute failure. And he goes, wouldn't it be great if we could get John Williams? <laughs> yeah. The greatest living movie composer of all time. Right. Somehow John Williams gets the rough cut of the movie he calls them on the phone and says i love this movie is it okay if i compose the music oh for it oh my gosh and it was so key to the feel and tone of this movie oh my gosh yes i mean he takes all of those tchaikovsky nutcracker music suites and weaves them perfectly into his own music which creates the i mean it changes the movie yeah. i mean without that music it's not the same movie it is it takes it to that number one over and over again, week after week level. The word he used was, I was enchanted. Yeah. Which is so John Wayne. Yeah, it is. It really is. So then, of course, Chris Columbus goes on to do the Harry Potter movies. Right. And... John Williams does this as well. And it's also very Christmassy. Very first. Lots of bells and chimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So on the music, not only do we have, you know, that Christmas music, but do you know what music plays when the bullies come out? It's like Peter and the Wolf, right? Yeah. And of course, the bullies are Grover Dill and Scott Farkas, which is a Hungarian word, which means wolf. Oh, that's great. Man. There you go. Deep cut of the day. Yeah. All right. Of note, in Home Alone, just talking about the little the little nuances, you know, right. that make it. Yes. There's almost no blue in the entire movie. It is almost exclusively red and green. It's amazing. The guy who did it, the production designer, yeah. he doesn't even like Christmas. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's like, right. I hate Christmas, but let's make everything green and red. And it works. It's, I mean, that movie makes you feel like Christmas. It does. Okay. One thing I wanted to bring up, and we didn't talk about this during casting. Okay. John Hughes called in a favor with his buddy, John Candy. Right. So John Candy says, yeah, I'll do it. You got one day with me. So John Hughes is like, great, one day. So they bring him and he works for scale. Right. Okay? He actually earned less than the pizza boy. <laughs> he did. Right? Pizza the pizza boy, boy had... 500 bucks. Yep. John, John Candy made 414 yep. for one day's worth of work. Yeah. So when he gets to the set, he allows John Candy to improvise, does all his polka, 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 uh-huh. all that stuff. Right? right. And he and Catherine O'Hara had worked together on SCTV. So they knew each oh, other. Yeah. They were comfortable. They were improv actors, yes. all that stuff. But here's the funny part. John Candy said, yeah, I'll work for one day. He didn't realize that it was actually going to be 23 hours yeah. of filming. Yeah. He said there was a moment in the day when he glared at John Hughes and was like, <laughs> It's 7 a.m. What the heck? <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yep. I do think that it's funny that the movie Angels with Filthy Souls was created and directed specifically for this movie. Yes. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Yes. And in fact, the set pieces in that movie were like cardboard and stuff like that. They barely pieced it together. Right. Keep then, the change, you filthy animal. And then in part two, he watches Angels with Filthier Souls, right? <laughs> That's right. I guess the two actors had to reverse their roles. I don't know their names. So the guy who's like, keep the change, you filthy animal. Yeah. And the other guy who's like, hey, snakes, wait. Yeah. They were actually reversed, but one guy hurt his knee, so he couldn't take the fall. Oh. So the guy who ended up 
shooting the guy. He came back for the sequel because he had right. an injured knee. So yeah. So interestingly, this narration thing that the executives said was not going to be of interest to anyone ended up spawning a TV series where you had somebody narrating what happened to them when they were young, except in t- taking place in the 40s. It took place from 1968 to 1976. You know what the show is I'm talking about? You're talking about the Wonder Years? Yeah. And do you know who the narrator was? Daniel Stern. There you go. The Wonder Years is based off a Christmas story? Yeah. Wow. It, it inspired it. It inspired the creation of the Wonder Years. Yeah. I can see that now. Yeah. I had not put those two into, together. That is cool. The fantasy sequences are a key part of this, right? Right. You've got you've got the soap poisoning. Yes. <laughs> you knew you'll be pushing up daisies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there was an additional scene that was filmed oh, that wasn't yeah. used in the movie where he's in space using his Red Rider BB gun to help out a hero that we've discussed earlier this year. Flash Gordon. Yep. The Buster Crab version of Flash Gordon. Yes. I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. I think it's, I think you can see it on maybe a DVD or did they lose it? They may have I think lost it's it. like, it's gone in a warehouse somewhere or something. I don't know. If you, uh, Shirley fans, if you've got access to that scene, if you know about it, send it to us. But yeah, filmed the whole scene, but decided it was just a little too much. And it was, you, you really need threes, three, fun, three is funny. Four is too much. Right. And you've got soap poisoning. You've got the cowboy scene and you've got Black Bart. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. And you've got the teacher. A plus. A plus. And I really think that the, you know, C plus is just a part two to that. Yeah. That dream yeah. I'd go with that. Right. One thing I want to mention uh, about John Hurd, we talked about him as Peter McAllister. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So here's the funny thing about that. Yeah. He was unhappy about working on this movie. He did not like it. He did not think it was going to do anything. Oh. He was not into it. Really? Okay? Yeah. But after seeing the finished product and of course the success after that, right. He realized that he was wrong. Yeah. So while they were shooting his scenes for Home Alone 2, he broke character, spoke directly to the camera, and told Chris Columbus, sorry, I was wrong. Oh, nice. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. Chris Columbus says he still has that footage of Heard's apology on a videotape. That's pretty cool. Yep. I remembered him, of course, from Big. Big. Yeah, he was a jerk co-worker and Big. You don't just come in here and say bugs. (laughs) Bugs. (laughs) (laughs) One of the scenes I want to talk about from a Christmas story Uh that caught me off guard when I saw it in the movie theater for the first time was when he finally gets the BB gun on Christmas morning and he goes outside Uh and he's like, oh, yes. I was so happy for him that he got the BB gun. Yeah. And it goes and he's looking at that thing. He's going to shoot it. And it hits that bird bath and it comes right back and hits his in the eye. And he's like, oh, my God, I shot my eye out. Yeah. That was so out of left field when I saw it. I was shocked and laughing <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, he shot his eye out. You it's know, such great writing, too, because it, it's led up to that moment the whole time. It's right. led up. And then you're just like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. It's the worst thing. That he has, and then he steps on his glasses. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So good. So good. All right. Let's talk about reception on these things real quick. Yeah. Let's go. I mean, we talked about it briefly, but Home Alone made almost half, half a billion dollars. Yeah. It was number one for 14 weeks. We talked about how it destroyed everything else that came out uh-huh. that same time period. Yep. 
uh, like Predator Two came out. <laughs> Rocky Five. Rocky Five was buried, right? Well, as it should be, it, it should, it still should be. Well, and Predator Two wasn't any good either. Yeah, they now use that term. If you get buried by a movie at the box office, uh-huh. they they call it getting home alone. Oh, nice. Next summer, when we talk about ET, yeah. ET had the same effect for all the other movies that came out in June of 82. They got ET'd. Yep. They got right. ET'd. Yep. So for Christmas Story, yeah. it wasn't such a rousing success. Right. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like it did terrible, but it wasn't some big humongous hit. Right. But this was right around the time that VHS was becoming big and that cable television was becoming big. Right. And so you just saw it. It was like, oh, it's Christmas time. Let's get a Christmas story. Or a Christmas story is on HBO. We should watch that tonight. You would watch it. And then in the mid 90s, something interesting happened. And this relates back to Wizard of Oz. Ted Turner had TBS. Right. And he then got TNT and he decided, hey, I'm going to start on Christmas showing a movie 24 hours a day. And the movie that he picked was Wizard of Oz. Okay. And the first year it did pretty good. And the second year it didn't do as good. Right. And so he's like, okay, well, let's try It's a Wonderful Life. Which, by the way, you just did a podcast with our friends from 30-something podcast, movie podcast on It's a Wonderful Life. I watched it for the first time. Which is nuts. Right. And how do you feel about it now? It was remarkably good. Right. Everybody expects it to not be good because it's an old black and white movie. It is It blew my doors off. It's amazing. Yeah. Right. I, I saw you rank it in your top three on Twitter. Am I wrong? Uh, in Christmas movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very good movie. Yeah. So they that again, ran it for 24 hours. First year, pretty successful. Second year, not so much. So try number three, a Christmas story. <laughs> First year, pretty successful. Second year, more successful. And for the last 24 years, it has been on Christmas Eve to Christmas Day. 12 showings, 24 hours, and has basically become a tradition. They didn't even come out with memorabilia for the movie until 2003. That's insane. That piece, that piece of playing it 24 hours a day, although I was very familiar with it at the time they started that. I was like, oh, this is a great movie. It was that that turned this movie into probably the icon that it is today. You want to hear a funny story? Sure. So, you know, it's Christmas time or whatever. We open presents. We drive to Tulsa to my in-laws. They're approximately two hours away from my house. Okay. So whenever we stop watching the Christmas story in Norman (laughs) and we get to Tulsa, (laughs) it's about the same spot. Perfect. That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. I, I will say this, our Christmas tradition, since we've had kids, so we're talking 18 years now, has always been we do Christmas morning at our house. And then around lunchtime, we go over to my wife's mother's house. We have the same kind of food every year and it's great. And the TV is always on and it's always playing a Christmas story. Right. Until last year. Uh-huh. Last year, the movie that was playing, Die Hard. Yes. All right, buddy. The time is here. I, I heard Santa's sleigh bells overhead. <laughs> we got to get to bed. So before we do, we've got to give final judgment. We have iconic movie, Home Alone, mega, mega, mega hit versus a Christmas story, iconic nostalgia. What do you say? Okay. So after analyzing these and i told you i saw both of these in the movie theater i laughed my butt off in both of these yeah. i love them they are fantastic christmas movies yep 
I am a huge, huge John Hughes fan. Yeah. I would not say I'm a huge Bob Clark fan. No. And really, the actors and stuff that in Christmas Story, they didn't really do anything after it that I'm in love with. Yeah. But that's not the case with all the people from Home Alone. Yeah. But I love the vignette style of A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. It's little bitty stories all stacked on top of each other. Yeah. With the overarching I Want a BB Gun for Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. Now then, I love Home Alone. I've seen it a million times, but watching it over and over again, it, it's not as enchanting as it once was. Yeah. Okay. Now I love John Hughes. You will not find a bigger John Hughes fan than me. Right. I'm also a little bit bitter at Home Alone because it altered the course of John Hughes's career. Yeah. Because Home Alone was such a gigantic mega hit, uh-huh. we stopped getting The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and instead we got Baby's Day Out and Flubber and Curly Sue. And Dennis the Menace. So I kind of hold a grudge against Home Alone because of that. So for me, the better of these two movies is A Christmas Story. D? Okay. You've got Die Hard (laughs) in a house at Christmas. And it's mixed with Looney Tunes slapstick painful comedy for the thumb and pinky perfect combination of Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. This is potentially a perfect movie okay it is it is arguably a perfect movie it is so solidly dude with a problem and dude solves the problem and it's hysterical it's well acted it's well directed i mean it changed the trajectory of chris columbus as well i mean talk about and kind of a, a swan song for john hughes although he did do miracle on 34th street and some other great ones it really was kind of the the peak of what was an escalating career. And tragically, we lost him too early, went out for a walk one day and had a heart attack. Yeah. And my gosh, the man has given us so many iconic movies. I hate to say this, but I have to agree with you. Oh, wow. A Christmas Story, even though it's not some great plot structure it's not some it's not something that launched the careers of a whole bunch of people or any it wasn't even a big hit at the time it does something that not many movies do which is capture a memory it captures a memory and that memory is a timeless memory because even though those things happened or supposed to have happened back in the 30s and 40s the scene changes, but the people are the same. Those are all things that I remember doing. I'm not, nobody stuck their tongue to a light pole, but we did things equally as stupid. There were bullies that we had to deal with. There were snowballs to the face. There were parents who didn't understand us. And there were those Christmas presents that we wanted that we knew meant the entire world to us. But as it turned out, what was really important was the family, right? And in both of these movies, that's kind of the message is that really family is what's important, but it's Christmas story that really brings that message home. It moves me. I tear up every time at the bully scene. I usually tear up whenever the dad is chuckling giddily to himself because he knows he's gotten his boy the present that he really, truly wanted. And so... Because of that, I've got to say, I agree. Christmas Story is my movie as well. Nice, nice. I've got two questions for you. Okay. Before we throw it out to our listeners who 
We want to hear from you. What is your favorite of these two movies? But I got two questions for you. Before you go into those questions, yeah, I will say this. Caleb, who I refer to routinely on the show, he would throw a snowball at me if he knew <laughs> that I picked Christmas Story above Home Alone. To him, Home Alone is by far the better movie. It's action-packed. It's the little kid shooting the bad guys. It's comedy gold. It's a good he fantasy. He loves yeah. it. He yeah. loves it. And a Christmas story, he can take it or leave it. It's his diehard. It is. Yeah. It really is. And he loves diehard too. <laughs> well done, Dad. <laughs> well done. All right. So here are my two questions. For All right. Yeah, are you ahead. ready? Yeah. Okay. What is the one Christmas present that you always wanted that when you got it, you're like, man, this is it? No question about it. It was the Nintendo Entertainment System the year it came out. Oh, fantastic. That was, I can I remember with 1080 clarity. Yeah seeing the advertisement for the Nintendo system. You had the little robot, you had the gun, but the thing that zoomed out to me was Super Mario Brothers hitting that little key question mark. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've spent literally tens, twenties, no telling how much money playing this video game. My favorite video game in the arcade is now available in a home entertainment system. I want this. This is all I want. All that I want. I don't care if you get me anything else. This is all that I want. And I can remember it's a tradition at our house that you get to open one present on Christmas Eve, right? That was the year that when I opened my Christmas Eve present, open it up, it was batteries. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, no, you can't just wrap batteries and that be okay. Right. Because it turned out robot needed batteries and so they were the batteries to the present that wasn't under the tree at the time it didn't come until after i had gone to sleep the old head fake there yes it was thanks everyone yeah so definitely so how about you what was your the thing that i wanted most and eventually got although it took me like three christmases to get it Uh was the kenner millennium falcon oh yeah that's all i wanted that was number one, two, three, four, and five on my list. I want the freaking Millennium Falcon. <laughs> right. Right? Right. And when I got it, I fell in love with it. I played it all the time. But here's the funny story. Mm-hmm. I had it all set up with all my guys. I was playing with it, having a good time. It's time for bed. Get in bed. I, let, I had a bunk bed. Fell off my bunk bed one time my entire life. In the middle of the night, I rolled out, fell off the top bunk, landed on my Millennium Falcon, and <sighs> smashed it. No. And never replaced it. That is heartbreaking. I know. That is heartbreaking. Okay, real quick. Yeah. There's a movie that's just come out. I think it's on Netflix or something like that. I've just seen the preview for it, but it's called 8-Bit Christmas. Yeah. It's obviously a remake type thing of A Christmas Story, except instead of a Red Rider BB gun, it's a Nintendo Entertainment System. Oh, fantastic. So I got to go check that one out. Hopefully it's it's good. It looks like it's got a 6.7 on IMDb though, so... All right. Well, we want to hear from you guys. Which one of these two classic Christmas movies? I forgot to ask you my second question. Yeah, you got to ask him. All right. Here's your second question. You ready for this? Yeah. All right. We've covered five Christmas movies now. Okay. Yeah. Die Hard, yeah. Lethal Weapon, yeah. Home Alone, yeah. Christmas Story, yeah. and the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> yeah. Give me your ranking. <laughs> one through five. Ready, set, go. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, if I'm walking out the door... Die Hard is number one, without question. Okay. Uh, number two. Oh, God. It's so hard. Um, okay. Die Hard, A Christmas Story, Home Alone, Lethal Weapon, and... <laughs> 
I don't think what? I'm ever, ever going to watch a Star Wars special what? again. What? Yeah. Okay. You're crazy. They're all close. I mean, I love them all. I would watch any of them anytime. Okay. And they're fantastic movies. That's you're, fair. You're, you're forcing me into a hole here. <laughs> all right. Here you go. You ready? Yeah. Die Hard. Yeah. Lethal Weapon. Yeah. A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. Home Alone. Right. And despite my unusual affection for the Star Wars holiday special, <laughs> it's definitely fit. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, now that we've given our ranks, we are going to have a little special Shirley showcase. And one of our good friends, author extraordinaire, Mr. Van Allen Plexico. And here's how he ranked our five Christmas podcasts. Hey guys, Van Allen Plexico here from the White Rocket Entertainment Network. You have asked me to rank these five Christmas-related features, and so here goes... Counting down from number five. At number five, we have A Christmas Story. I have never understood why people obsess over this movie. It's just kind of weird, and the lamp thing, and the BB gun, and it's almost like whatever. Moving on, number four, Home Alone. It's not my cup of tea either, but at least it's got some action and wacky violence to keep us all entertained. And what more can we ask for at Christmas time than wacky violence? Exactly. And speaking of wacky violence, at number three comes Lethal Weapon. I've never loved this movie. I've never considered it a great movie, but it's a pretty decent one. And probably most folks would say that Lethal Weapon 2 is a better Lethal Weapon movie. But that being said, this one ranks right in the middle for me. I mean, the two lead actors are pretty good and it has some fun stuff in it. I'll even forgive Shane Black for ruining Iron Man with Iron Man 3 because this is a pretty good movie. So number three is Lethal Weapon. Number two, the Star Wars Holiday Special. An utter glorious train wreck in all other respects. It is rightfully derided in that fashion by fans and has been for over 40 years. I remember watching it when it aired and I wondered what in the world I was seeing. If I'd been a little bit older, I'd have been wondering what kind of drugs were involved in the creation of this special. But how is it ranked number two? Because it is memorable. It is an iconic event in Star Wars history. And most importantly... It introduces Boba Fett. Yes, he's a cartoon and not a very good cartoon, but he's the greatest Star Wars character of all. And so the fact that it introduces Boba Fett ranks this number two all time on the list of these five entertainments. And number one, is this even a question? Die Hard, come on. It's so much a Christmas movie that when I saw it in the theater in the middle of a blazing hot summer in 1988, when I left the theater, I was fully expecting to be freezing cold when I got outside. I thought there'd be snow on the ground. I thought Christmas music would be playing from every car that passed by. I fully expected it to be snowing when I left the theater in, like, July of 1988 after seeing this movie. It's so great. It set up a whole genre of action movies of this type, and it is so very Christmassy. All right, there you go. That is your five movies or entertainments that you wanted me to rank, and I have ranked them. I'm sure others will disagree, but that's my ranking. I am Van Allen Plexico. Check out all my shows by going to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or search. White Rocket on any pod app. Oh wow! Okay, so you think you know a guy? I, I'm 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 baffled here, but I mean, he came strong with the opinion. He came strong with it, even though I totally disagree with what he had to say <laughs> about most of it. 
Yeah, I'm on board that Die Hard's the best, but what, 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 what? What do you think, man? What do you think about those rankings? I think it's strong he's coming with Star Wars Holiday Special number two. <laughs> that is amazing. He gives a lot of credit because of Boba Fett. I think it's great. Uh, he's a little bit hard on, on Home Alone in The Christmas Story. And Lethal Weapon. And Lethal Weapon, that's true. I guess he's, I understand he's a little bit bitter about what he did with Iron Man 3, but whatever. Dude, he hates Iron Man 3. <laughs> he wants to meet Shane Black in a dark alley sometime. That's hilarious. Van Allen Plexico, thank you very much, sir. That was, uh, that was awesome, and I love it, and a Merry Christmas. Thanks, man. We appreciate you, man. Thank you to everybody who's made this a special year. Merry Christmas to everybody. And God We're- bless us, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for joining us in on our fun. We hope to see you in season three. We're going to take some time off. We're going to take some time off, but it'll probably be February because we've got the 50th anniversary of the Godfather coming up. Yeah. We've got the new release of Batman, the Batman coming up, and we're going to be doing some special episodes on those. And before we go, it takes us literally hours and hours to put just one of these episodes together. So if you can, if you feel like giving us a Christmas present this year for next year, go to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Shirley podcast, and you can help us out with a monthly donation. But even if we had to do it for free, we would do it because there are some amazing people that we've met and would not have known them and met them, but through this podcast. And so we want to take this time to say thank you and Merry Christmas to a select group of folks. That's right. So first of all, our patrons, we want to thank Addy Ayashino, Cameron Eckert, Travis Lasley, Chris Bauer, Dayton Johnson, Chris and Jeannie Alexander, Alan is vaccinated. Yep. Dale Selby, Brad Moore, Christopher Walkton, and of course, James Buckley, our good friend and Patreon. Very first one, yeah. Jonathan Tweedy's the one fan that we've met in person at this point, That was right? really cool. That we got to go to dinner awesome. with him, yeah. Yeah. Um, we also have some guys who routinely communicate with us on Facebook who are always giving us some great insight into episodes past and potentially future. Um, we've got Scott Rothschild. We've got Chris Weber, who did the uh, Shirley Showcase for us. We've got Rocky Chandler, Derek L., Adam Weinrib. We've got Mo and Max from the Buzz in the Tower podcast. Be sure and go check that out. We've got our friends from the 30-something podcast. We've got John and Pat and Bo and Dennis, Dennis and Jeff. And yeah, all of those guys. Merry Christmas, guys. We're sorry we're missing out on doing a Christmas episode with you this year. We will we will catch you in 2022, maybe. You know who else we really need to thank this year huh. is our good buddy, David Wright. He did four episodes with us. Def Dave was our hip-hop rap expert. We got to just sit back and live in the limelight as he he waxed poetic on all of that rap history. And it was awesome. Truly, truly great time. Some other Facebook guys who routinely communicate with us. Nick Hensley. Jay Reed. Ryan Rainwater. Neil Rudnick. And then just, we want to thank everybody who's taken the time to record our show showcase. Yeah. We know that takes time kind of effort yeah and we appreciate you guys contributing to our show right we really do guys it's been another great season in the books i can't tell you how moved i am that you continue to listen to us and we continue to grow thank you so much and merry christmas merry christmas happy new year merry new year i'm bound to thank you for it